Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we flip the real estate status quo on its head and put loan officers into the driver's seat. We give you all the tools, strategies, resources, and mindset needed to modernize your mortgage business and thrive. And my name is Luke Shankula, aka Longform Luke, and this is the Loans On Demand podcast. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we help loan officers flip the status quo on real estate agents and put loan officers in the driver's seat. And today, for the second time, we got Phil Treadwell. He is the market leader with Your Brew Team, powered by Thrive Mortgage. He's also the founder of the Mortgage Marketing Expert podcast. He's coached some of the industry's elite. He's done a bunch of things, so I'll just go ahead and let him introduce himself. I mean, again, you know, this guy's a legend in this space, so welcome to the show, man, again. Well, man, I appreciate that. I don't know about legend, but we're working on it. We're, we're trying <laughs> to get there. Hey, you know what? I had to, you know, puff up your uh, self-esteem a little bit here on a Friday, right? I'll take it. I'll take it. No hate, for sure. <laughs> awesome, man. So, you know, obviously, uh, the market's changed a little bit since we last kind of spoke on this podcast, so I'd love to kind of dive a little bit into that, but, you know, for everybody who maybe hasn't listened to that last episode, tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of like what your journeys looked like over the last few years and, you know, what you're kind of doing these sure. days. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. So, you know, I think I get a little more detailed on my background and whatnot, uh, so people can go back and, and listen to the other episode sure. for the gory details, but high level, 18 years in the mortgage business, all on the sales side uh, as originator, branch manager, regional, came to Thrive Mortgage in uh, into 2020, about 18 months ago, almost two years ago, as a national director doing uh, sales innovation strategy, talent attraction, anything that drove production or brought people to the company, really fell in love with uh, the mission and what we were doing, saw a lot of changes in the industry, and realized that after 18 years, I'm still a sales and marketing guy that's still drawn to, you know, being on the street and uh, building production, things of that nature. So my wife also worked at Thrive as a licensed Dello. And so we decided to put a team together. Nice. So uh, towards the end of last year, created Your Brew Team. And Brew is an acronym for Build Real Estate Wealth. And uh, I think a lot of mortgage and real estate professionals profess that they want to help people build wealth with real estate. And in the grand scheme of things, a lot of times it's super transactional. Sure. And so we were at the phase of life where we wanted to grow and build real estate portfolio. Use that for, you know, net worth, retirement, passive income, things of that nature. And just decided we had some really cool strategies we wanted to share and really had the desire to be on the ground and work with referral partners and clients and really build production and build a team. So obviously when we made that decision, we knew a lot of the trends that were happening in the industry, but didn't foresee, you know, 3% increase right. in interest rates in about 120 days, right as we were getting right. rolling. But we've weathered well and we've grown and getting a pretty good run rate, several million dollars a month in volume and, and really starting to really execute on the plan that we had. So that's kind of what's been going on in the short term. So we're right in the thick of it, you know, dealing with the same issues that everybody else mm -hmm. is. And, and that's become a lot more fun to really have relevant real-time, real-world experiences to share with people and help them grow. I like that because like, you know, sometimes while you can give good advice, not being in the trenches every day, like actually being in the trenches gives you just that real-time advice. It's, it's interesting because it's something I recently started doing in my own business is like, I, I kind of fell into this trap a little bit of like, oh, I'm scaling. I'm the CEO. I don't have to do anything. I'm just going to delegate everything out. And like, I lost touch with a lot of like, things in the business that now I'm just starting to like get in the weeds like once or twice a week, right? Like I'm not doing it every single day. Right, Obviously you got to, right. you got to continue to grow and do the things that are going to scale the business. But you know, I found myself like loving getting back in there and learning. And that also allowed me to grow innovation and things like that. And so I do think there is for sure a key there of like, you know, if you do 
going to leadership, like, you know, yeah, you don't always have to produce, but I think that there is merit to producing, you know, especially in real time. And we're in a market like we are today. It's something a little different, right? Something different that we've seen probably for the last, I don't know what, 10 years or so, probably the hardest. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting because there's been a fast increasing rate mm-hmm. environments and there's been, you know, tight housing supply environments. The dynamic we have right now is a unique one, but at the same time, this is closer to the mortgage business at least in my origination career, which is, you know, the first 10 years of my career, the last seven or eight of non-production roles. And then obviously, you know, coming back to it, what we're dealing with is closer to what the mortgage industry is about than it has been this last two or three years. And really what I mean by that is I think that the industry has gotten a little bit lazy Mm -hmm. and mixing up sales versus marketing. They think that they're marketing when really they're just selling. And that's, a topic that we've talked about off and on through the podcast of, you know, effective marketing is the balance of trusted attention mm-hmm. or marketing gets someone's attention, but it's sales that actually converts them and makes them a customer. And right. we've got people that have been, you know, putting stuff out on social media, creating content, you know, having a marketing plan and their phone rings. Therefore, they think that's what they're doing and they've kind of been order takers. And right. we're starting to realize now that Sales is about relationships. Sales about once you have that attention from your marketing, adding value and creating conversations and actually having to have a strategy on how do you want to help your clients, have your clients help them come up with a strategy, which is a lot of what kind of our team is focusing on. How do you do those things in a market where people have been fat and happy for a while and maybe have let that muscle weaken a little bit? Because right now, make no mistakes about it, there's a lot of folks that are feeling the pinch, that are struggling and wondering, you know, why has my volume gone down so much? Yeah, I don't have refis, but, you know, it's a hot market and so on and so forth. And it goes back to, you know, I think we may have talked about it on our last episode, you know, that 11th commandment is thou shalt not fooleth thyselfeth. You know, you need to be honest with yourself (laughs) about what's really going on. What's really going on is you're waiting for the phone to ring and you're playing on social media and you're creating some content and you think that that is selling or that you're marketing effectively or whatever. And we can go down that rabbit hole if you want to. At the end of the day, you've got to have a really, really clear understanding of what you're trying to do, who your target market is, how you're going to reach them, and and in turn, actually have to be able to close these and not just answer the phone whenever everybody was racing to the bottom for the lowest 30 year fixed rate they could right, find. Right. It was easy, right? I mean, cause as long as you had the lowest rate and you know, you're semi-competent, you should be able to get pretty good amount of deals. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's something that I deal with, obviously, you know, I'm a marketing agency and we deal with leads all the time. And so many people are like, so used to referral type of transactions that when they try internet leads or any type of leads in general, they're like, Oh, these are bad leads. It's like, well, no, it's like, you just have never learned how to sell to someone that doesn't know who you are. Because what you get with a referral or even organic marketing, you get someone that's warmed up to who you are, right? You haven't actually learned how to turn someone from a stranger into a buyer and build trust and build, you know, no like and trust, what people always talk about. It's a different skill set. And I've actually said this before and people like get offended when I'm like, man, if you're referral only, like you really haven't had to build that sales muscle, right? Like it's great. Like you can build a relationship. It's great. Like you're good at building relationships, but it's a different thing. And then obviously in a market like we are in today, like most people are probably going to shop you, right? So how do you stand out and not become a commodity? Because ultimately, I mean, mortgages kind of are a commodity, you know, if you don't know how to stand out. Right. So I guess we talk about that a little bit, man. Like, how do you stand out and how do you become not a commodity? Well, I think that is not just a great question. It's the Mm -hmm. question. What differentiates you from all of the other vultures out there that are trying to do home loans and race to the bottom? Because 
that's probably the biggest trap that people get into is in the market we've had that's been all about low rates and low fees and racing to the bottom. In a market like this, people are still trying to play that same game. And whether we want to admit it or not, while a mortgage itself is a commodity, so are shoes. Sure. But there's a reason we go pick more expensive shoes than what you could go find. Sure. You know, ironically, I had a mentor one time that said, never skimp on shoes or mattresses because if you're not on one, you're on the other. Right. So there's right. a little side anecdote for you. And I think that's the same thing when it comes to buying a home or mortgages. You know, if you think about the life events, and I heard this on a Todd Duncan podcast a couple of years ago. If you think about the life events that we go through, getting married, having kids, those types of things, a lot of times those life events revolve around changing where you live or moving up into a home or kids graduate, maybe you're downsizing or whatnot, but sure. they revolve around buying a home, selling a home, getting a mortgage, you know, other life events where you want to you know, pull some cash out or, or whatever. In those times, if you think about the same type of life event, like having a kid, you know, or having a baby, you don't shop and say, Hey, who is the lowest, cheapest price doctor I can find? Right. You know, what type of wedding can I get? That's really going to just be really cheap. You know, we don't, we understand that there's a difference between cost and value. And so when you're having a conversation with the client, I think the most important thing you can do, and this is going to sound very elementary, that's my preface. The most important thing you can do is have a conversation with them and ask them, what's significant about buying a home for you right now? What type of you know, life situation are they in that you can ask them the types of questions that are going to be relevant enough that you can understand how to create a strategy for them to use a mortgage and that real estate asset that's attached to it to build a strategy to achieve their financial goals? Mm -hmm. And we had a client recently, he actually works for a law firm that works with people who dispute property taxes and have different things around property taxes. So he's in the real estate industry, is relocating from one state to another. And I think this will be his fourth house. So he's mm -hmm. closed on three houses prior to. And in this conversation, one of the very first questions we asked him was, you're moving back closer to family. You have two small children. You know, we'd already asked some of the basic questions and said, okay, you know, is this a long-term home? Is this a potential forever home? Or is this just kind of a passing through point for you guys? And he kind of chuckled and he said, you know, that's a great question. I don't know if anybody's ever asked me that. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, what kind of endorsement is it on the mortgage and real estate industry that you've been through three realtors, three lenders at least, and nobody's ever asked how long do you plan on staying in the home? That, right. that should be kind of 101. Right. And so I say that, I mentioned Todd a couple of times, a Todd Duncan high trust conversation. In those conversations, you'd be surprised about what you find out in those conversations. And there's a story that I'll save for another time, but she called us about down payment assistance and some of the state bond programs. And it led all the way through, through a series of events, a really cool little story to what she really was focused on was helping her and her family change their family tree and talk about generational wealth, sure. her and her cousins and aunts and uncles and family. And had we not asked a handful of questions, we wouldn't have known that. And it turned into several potential deals, not only for her, but for other people in her family, because we cared enough not to just spit off a bunch of information about low down payment programs and things of that nature. Sure. So to wrap it up, if you want to stand out and you want to not be a commodity, you need to do things that 
commodities don't normally do. And normally there's not an extra value incentive. And that value is you having a conversation and not just list out all of the features of what you can do, all of the loan programs, take those features after you've had a conversation with someone and show them how those tools and how those programs can benefit them. And it's the same way with referral partners. Ask them about their business, how they get leads, how they convert leads, what their customer base is, what their goals are. And then you can take some of your tools and you can talk about how partnering with you can benefit them instead of just starting off with, hey, look at all this cool stuff that I have. Right. Nobody cares. And that's the very definition of commodity, in my opinion, is you're just advertising all this stuff and you're going to advertise a really low rate and you hope people just come do business with you. And mm-hmm. it's happening everywhere all the time. And it sounds very simple, but unfortunately, a lot of folks aren't doing it. I 100% agree. It's something that I think it's something that salespeople fall into in any industry that you're in is they think what people want is the product, right? So they pitch, 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 pitch. And they think that, oh, cool, I'm going to just pitch people. And the problem with that is it's a numbers game, right? Because all you're doing is like eventually someone's going to say yes because you've pitched enough people. But the truth is, and true sales, in my opinion, is you're a problem finder and then you're providing the solution specific to their problem. And I think right. so many times people are just like, well, we're just gonna put them in the lowest 30 year fix, but like, okay, well that might not be the best thing for that person, right? Like it might be a seven, one arm. It might be a, you know, something else, some other product that again, I'm not a loan officer, so I don't have all the knowledge of all the programs, but you know, you guys are loan officers, you know, the programs that are available. You know, we also have to understand that, you know, rates are high. Most people aren't living in their properties you know, what is it, five to seven years is kind of the average that people are living in a property. So those are things you have to consider. And especially if they're already having that intent to move, you know, having those conversations. It's funny because, you know, you bring up Todd Duncan, I'm going to talk about Barry Habib. One of the first times I actually, you know, saw him speak, it blew my mind because of like the way he was structuring, you know, this, uh, I don't remember what the scenario was, but it just like blew my mind, like how high level it was. Instead of just saying, hey, you know what, you're going to get the lowest rate, it was like, how can we structure it so that, you know, we can actually build wealth for the future? Maybe it makes sense to pull cash out and do this. So it was like, again, like that same conversation we just had. And I agree with the fact that, like, you don't necessarily have to have much different in any of your process. Obviously, you should have good, you know, service. You should have all those things that are kind of sort of your job description. But I do believe that the way you separate yourself from other people is, again, having a conversation, actually understanding what their problems are. And you just really said that, you know, a lot more eloquently than I did. But again, I mean, our job as salespeople is to find a problem, to agitate the problem to discomfort, and then show them like where the path is to get there, right? Like, and if it's not working with you, then okay, cool. Like you need to be okay with being able to say, all right, you know what? It might not make sense now, or actually you might need to talk to my buddy over here or whatever. And that disconnection from getting the sale, again, being transactional is where you're going to be able to serve people at the higher level. Yeah, Man, I love everything you're talking about. That's awesome. No, I I appreciate that. At the risk of sounding like I'm name dropping and I'm not, both Barry and Todd are really good friends of mine and mentors for the last several years. And Barry was actually the very first podcast episode that I ever recorded. I knew him a little bit through my boss at the time, and he was gracious enough to come on. I share that because one of the things that he talked about in that conversation and and an event that he had come in for our team to do at the time, he talks about when people go look at houses, they initially see them with their eyes and, and love all the features and then they fall in love with their heart and they get emotionally attached. Right. The decision to buy or sell a home, make no mistake as a financial decision. And so, you know, I love both philosophies when it comes to Todd and Barry. And that's kind of what we've made our own is, 
we very much want to have a conversation with someone, have a high trust interview, really understand, make that connection, find that common ground, could develop that relationship, understand the journey that they've taken, you know, that no like, and trust journey we try to put them on as well. Mm -hmm. But then when we sit down with them, it is about strategy. It's not just about warm and fuzzy. And that's, I'm glad you brought that up because mm -hmm. those are the two sides of this. A lot of times, even in podcast conversations on my podcast, I'm sure on this one and a lot of others, we end up talking about these high level principles. And you kind of mentioned earlier, and, and we get away from some of the tactics, right? Guys, the tactics here, in my opinion, are very simple. Yes, you're going to be putting out content on social media and, and other forms of marketing, but you need to be engaging with your potential target audience, whether that's realtors or other types of referral partners or clients or whatever, you need to be engaging with people's content as much or more than you're posting content. And I think we've talked about that some as well. Yep. Then when you have conversations with people, you need to be a great listener you need to actively listen to them, what they're saying, what they're doing mm -hmm. so that you can create some type of rapport, find those commonalities, develop that relationship. And then once you have them to where they're engaging in the sales process, if you will, you need to make sure and understand what process they've been through with you. How did you get their attention? How did the conversation start? What information did they give? Sure. That's the beginnings of a strategy, this benefit we were talking about a second ago. It doesn't have to be some arbitrary thing, but to your point, if they're not going to be in the home, but a handful of years, you're going to structure or you should be structuring that loan differently in a lot of instances than if they are going to plan on being there long term for seven, mm -hmm. 10 years or longer or whatever. And so that financial decision, that strategy, if you will, that's what Barry's talking about is understanding the markets to be able to advise them correctly, to be able to put strategies together for appreciation, for amortization, you know, bid over ask, all of these different things that realtors also have questions about. You've got to be able to do that. But so often either we just want to be social and we're not paying attention to the numbers or we're paying so much attention to the numbers that we're just spitting a bunch of stuff right. out and there's no context. Right. So when someone calls and says, hey, you know, so-and-so told me to call you and they call our team and they want to quote, they want to rate. Right. We're just saying, hey, listen, that's not exactly what we do. There's about 25, 26, 28 different things so that factor into what an interest rate quote is. And so, you know, we'd love to have a conversation with you, see if we can understand more about what it is you're trying to do so that we can get you the most accurate quote possible. In those conversations, we do want to have an application. Sure. But if someone comes looking for a rate and we walk them through that process and we talk to them about what our you know, market and rate strategy is and how we lock them in and what that, if they continue to talk about rate, and I learned this from somebody else, we'll deselect them and just say, hey, listen, I don't know that our mortgage practice is set up exactly what you're looking for. I'm sure you can you know, find people that'll just spit out a rate and then may or may not be able to deliver it. But we're wanting to work with you and help you build a short and long-term strategy you know, to build real estate wealth. That's sure. what our whole team name is about. And I think you said it a second ago, you have to be okay not getting some of those deals. Some people may not want to have a conversation with you. They may be looking for a you know, whatever.com scenario uh, over the right. phone. And right. if that's what they want, that's cool. They can go do that. But if you want to create and convert leads and you want to separate yourself in this market, you better be having the right conversations. You better be able to bring a strategy. You better be able to know your stuff. Mm -hmm. This is what this business is. You are professional salespeople. You're professional advisors. 
by the way, you better be a good professional marketer too, if you want to separate yourself. So there's a lot of pieces of this that you have to put together. It's going to thin the herd. There's going to be some people that are hurting and they're going to leave. Sure. But I've been through a thinning process before in, in the 2008 to 2010 or 11 window. And those of us that made it through came out the other side, having some of our best years right. because we really honed our craft. And that's really what this industry is doing again. So I hate that Houses may be, quote unquote, less affordable in some areas or that some people may be having some professional challenges because the market's shifting. But make no mistake, this is a positive thing for our industry mm -hmm. because it's going to sharpen us. It's going to make us better. And at the end of the day, that's better for our clients and referral partners. Yeah, I agree. And I think to your point, people buy emotionally and justify with logic, right? Which is why having the initial conversation, you need to get them into the emotional conversation. Like, what is it that they're looking to accomplish? And then, you know, so hit them with the Todd Duncan and then hit them with the Barry on the back end, right? Because like you can't have the Barry conversation without having the Todd conversation. If we want to just put it that way, it's like you can't explain the programs without knowing what they want. And if you're doing that, you're doing them ultimately a disservice and yourself a disservice because right. they're not going to see you as, you know, an advisor. They're going to see you as, again, back to the concept of a commodity. You know, it's something that's. I think salespeople in general just need to get better at Socratic dialogue and asking good questions. You talked about being a good listener. I think that's one of the hardest parts too, because people are so like, let's say you're following a script. Like it's hard because like the prospect can tell when you're like, you don't really acknowledge what they're saying. You just move on to the next question. Right. So one, they feel like they're being interrogated because like, all right, well, I got to hit all these things. I got to do my application. I got to, you know, but like you're not actually understanding what they're saying and you just want to move on to the next thing. And I agree then, you know, coming back around to the thinning of the herd, right? I mean, unfortunately, that's what's going to happen. But the people that do survive, the people that do stay afloat and do well are going to come out of this, you know, again, maybe with a little mini refi boom here in maybe a couple of years, um, you know, things like that. But, you know, ultimately, it just comes down to doing better. I mean, it's going to be harder. I mean, it's ultimately going to be harder the next 6, 12, 18, 24 months to get business. And so you're going to have to work harder to do less business, probably, or maybe a little yeah. bit more. I don't know. You know, again, I, I don't know the exact time frame. I think you're right on track there. I think another thing that people forget is I think social media also skews. And I've been mentioning a lot because I think that that's where a lot of people gravitate is social sure. media for their marketing efforts. And I subscribe to that model as well. We typically use that as an opportunity to reach other people that we may not have otherwise made connections with. And then when we make that connection, start that conversation, we didn't want to take that relationship offline. Mm -hmm. I say that because, you know, in today's day and age, using social media creates vanity metrics that are not yeah. realistic to the world. Sure. Like I was talking to somebody the other day, they're like, yeah, I was like, I just don't feel like our business page is doing very well. And I was like, well, kind of tell me what's going on. Our videos, you know, we're, we're getting like 90 or hundred views on most. We've had a couple with 300 and uh, I just kind of nodded. I said, Hey, I said, I saw you posted on social media it was on Instagram specifically that you were at a networking event here recently. Tell me about that. How did it go? Oh, it was so great. Had conversations like, well, how many conversations do you think you had? So I don't know, you know, probably 12 or 15. And there's two or three, you know, ones I really had conversations with. Okay. You talked to 12 or 15 people and you had deep conversations with two or three of them. Okay. Now in that context, every single one of your videos is being viewed a hundred times which is probably 12 or 15 people, a couple of which may have listened to it a couple of times or whatever else. Right. But you have to keep it in context that right now you need to be understanding the quality 
of the engagement and not the quantity, not those vanity metrics. And I'll tell you the same thing. I won't go into the exact numbers for a couple of different reasons, but for the leads that we've gotten this year, and then what I mean lead of we've had communication and contact with them, not just someone gave us a name and a phone number, email address. Like we've actually had engagement to where we're attempting to have a conversation with them and vice versa, or we've had one of all the leads we've gotten year to date within the next 12 or 15 days, we will have closed and funded just under a third of them. Wow. And so when you talk about a conversion rate, normally for every three or four leads you get, you get a prequal, you know, every three or so prequals, you get an application, you close 80 to 90% of your application, so on and so forth. We're not focused on getting quantity of leads. We're focused on the quality of the leads. And like Mm -hmm. I said, we're deselecting people. And even some of those leads we've gotten, We've just said, hey, it's probably not a good fit. Happy to you know, refer you or you know, point you in the right direction. You can find a good lender, whatever else. At the end of the day, we're focusing on when people come into our ecosystem and start a conversation, how do we maximize the value that we can provide? How do we add content and value to them to share with other people? How do we make sure we're creating a strategy and spending more time on each individual one? Because that's, in my opinion, is what's going to take to be successful in this market, which is part of the reason we've grown double digits, almost triple digit percentages month over month this year in what's been a really difficult market to navigate. Mm -hmm. And I'm not bragging or saying that we're so awesome or anything like that. I'm saying we're going back to the basics. We're going back to having strategic conversations. We're using social media to make introductions and to connect with people maybe that we wouldn't. But just as much, if not more, social media is doing that because we're engaging in their content. And we're asking people who else they know that might be like us, that might want to have a conversation and leads are coming from that. And I say all of that, that all the whole really long thing to say, you need to be having a really, really good relationship with your CRM. Oh yeah. Some type of a database of everyone you meet, the name, a phone number, an email address, and some type of notes, hopefully some type of tags or a way to organize. Every single person needs to go into a CRM. And I'm telling you, I know of a few people, some I've had on my podcast, some I just know personally. There's one guy in particular for 24 months, maybe even less, maybe a year and a half, every single person he met, personal business did not matter. He got their information and put it in his CRM and he dripped on them, not spammy emails and look how awesome we are. And, but like legitimately sent out decent information and contacts, you know, via email and text and video and whatever else. And then after 18 months, he didn't have to do it again. And he was, I think the next two years between 50 and $75 million producer and has been a hundred million dollar producer a year ever since, because for a short period of time, he disciplined himself to go out and everybody that I meet or run into, I mean, to the people that were checking his groceries at the grocery store, he'd start a conversation after he'd see him a couple of times. They weren't creeped out because he's like, Hey, I'm in the mortgage business, right? You know, love to get your email address and add you to my database. Maybe we can send you some information guys. There's a way to do it and create a network of people. And we talk about that all the time. That's what we're doing on social. And right, you know, right. we want to be part of tribes and we send people Seth Godin's book and then we're having a conversation with someone we don't exchange contact information, or maybe we follow each other on Instagram. Hey, we just followed you. That's great. Hey, send me your email address as well. Or what's your phone number? I'll send you my contact card. Guys, this isn't tough. And I know there's some people are listening like, oh my God, this is elementary stuff. But is it? Right. Have you mastered this at a level to where now you're going to pay $2,000 a month for a company to help you with retargeting ads on social media and all this other stuff? But 
you're not getting a name, a phone number, an email address and putting it in your CRM sure. so that you actually have leads to convert. Right. So I may be being a little bit tough on anybody, but I want people to succeed in this market. And I think that if you start there, all of this other stuff is complimentary and you can get a lot, a lot of really good results from it. But you've also got to understand what it is we're trying to do here, which is meet people, have conversations, close deals. Well, it's funny that you talk about using a CRM. We just had a training for our client base and it was literally on that. And he's like, this is the basics. And I was like, man, the basics, like they were like watching and they were looking and they're like, how many emails am I supposed to send? How many videos am I supposed to send? How many texts? What should I say? Like, it was funny because like, you know, sometimes we get hit with this curse of knowledge of like, hey, everybody should know like these things. But at the end of the day, like, the basics is what is going to, you know, get you the success that you need. And the more I talk to people that are successful in the industry and in any industry is like, they all do the basics really well. They don't follow tactics. I know we do talk about tactics and on the last podcast, I believe we talked about, you know, some of the pillars of content and things like that. So if you yeah. do want to hear a little bit more about kind of what type of content, you can go back to the last episode and listen to that. But I do like this idea because there's so much to be said about just doing the basics, right? Following up with people on a regular basis. And it's just really like, all right, well, are you willing to commit to doing these things? And it's funny, a while back when I was first getting started in this industry, I um, I went to this event and this guy that much more successful than me was there and, and I'm having a conversation with him. And I kept saying, oh yeah, I know, I know, I know. And he's like, you keep saying this word, I know. He says, but truly knowing is implementing. It's not just knowing the knowledge and not doing anything with it. And that hit me in the stomach. I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. I do know a lot of things, but I'm not doing those things. And so I think that's part of what it comes down to. Yeah, it sounds basic, but you know, the basics work and most of the people aren't doing the basics. I agree. And again, I think there's probably a deeper philosophical lesson here. You know, a lot of right. the social media culture is, you know, the you haven't made it unless you've, you know, made a million dollars in a year or you make a million dollars a year or whatever. And I think it was saw a Gary V video recently that said, uh, it's in $450,000, let's say. If you make more than $450,000 a year in the top 1% of income earners in the country, and we're one of the richest countries on the face of the planet. Right. So put that in perspective that on social, unless you make a million dollars a year and you're flying in private jets, which is probably a corporate lease that they did one time to get some video content right. and sell you right. a product or whatever. But this fake it till you make it culture is very real, right? You could also call it the Facebook effect, right? Like, you see a picture of someone and are envious of their life whenever you don't understand that they took 142 pictures to get that perfect one and post it. Right. And they do that right. over and over and you start getting a feeling that that's their life instead of the minority. We do the same thing in our businesses. We see people's postings about, you know, their closings or their listings or this cool video or they had, or they had a piece of content that you see and they're like, Oh my gosh, like they're just such a marketing genius or whatever else that you forget that there's an element and a price that had to be paid mm -hmm. to get there. Right. I say it all the time in almost every piece of content I do. Success is about consistent and persistent effort over time. And I'm going to keep shouting it from the rooftops because I don't think people are really understanding what I'm saying. And the best way I know to describe it, it might sound like I'm, again, I'm patting myself on the back and I'm not. I just want to share a story of when I got started. My first week was classroom style training for four days. The fifth mm -hmm. day on Friday, I followed my boss around to his referral partners. And then the following Monday, I'm like, okay, what are we going to do now? I walked into the office and he was making black and white copied flyers, literally took our company letterhead and whited out the corporate phone number at the bottom, was cutting out these word docs and <laughs> pasting it in the letterhead. And he would do about a hundred at a time and put these big black binder clips on it. He'd lay it in a Xerox box and did that about 10 or 12 times. 
And so he handed me, you know, probably 12 or 1500 pieces of paper in this Xerox copy box and said, go talk to realtors and tell them to send you business. Like, okay, rock and roll. That's just, just what we do. And again, I didn't know any different, right? There wasn't social media at the time. This is, you know, 2004. And so the apartment where I lived, I map quested, again, gives you a context of the time. Right, right. For the four and it was real probably estate wrong. offices. And it was probably right, exactly, wrong. No, exactly. <laughs> I map quested the four real estate offices in my town. I could go and visit all of them and drop off my flyers and make it back around to my apartment at lunch. Mm-hmm. I would have lunch and I would do it again in the afternoon. And I went to every single real estate office in that town morning and afternoon every single day for two and a half weeks before I had a real conversation with the realtor. Now, there was some pleasantries and highs and how you going or they may make a comment about the flyer. But in two and a half weeks, I finally had a conversation that I got my first lead and then drove 40 minutes to him to take an in-person application. Ended up being the second loan I ever closed. And I share that story because there's a lot of people that get frustrated about how many video views that their their leads aren't working, they're not converting. I don't know that people are willing to understand the opportunity that they have. My average loan amount at that time was $85,000. I did 60 units my first year at $85,000 a piece. It was a different pay structure. It was a different model. I still did okay. At the same time, are people in today's day and age willing to cold call in office with black and white flyers eight to nine to 10 hours a day for two and a half weeks, three weeks or longer, if they knew that at the end of that was them creating some skills, developing conversational skills to close loans, the average income in the mortgage business is really high. Is it worth it? Right? Is the juice worth the squeeze? Are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to stay consistent and persistent over time? There's a ton of people in the mortgage business that are top 1% income earners because I know a ton of people that are making more than $450,000 a year right. in the mortgage business. Especially the last two it's years. It's not an easy income, but it's an attainable income in this business for a loan officer if you're willing to do the work, if you're willing to be smart. I'm not saying you have to do it forever. And I understand all the people who's like, well, you got to do this now and that now. and da-da. I get it. I understand it all. But it's doable. There's people all over that are doing it. Are you willing to do it? Is that what you want? If not, that's fine. I'm not judging you for it. I'm not saying you have to, but you can't complain right. when we have the easiest opportunity to reach people in history ever. And you're in a sales profession that has an opportunity where the people you're trying to sell don't actually have to pay you any money. And if right. they do, it's because they're buying the largest asset class on planet earth. And you get paid to do that. And you get a very professional opportunity and all kinds of cool systems and tech and companies like yours that they can reach out to to help them. So you don't have to build it that way. You don't have to build it to a certain level. I'm not judging for that. But you can't complain about it at the same time. Right. That's my thing is you got to be willing to pay the price. Right. If you're happy at $40,000 a year, great. So be it, right? Absolutely. It's funny. I don't know if you're familiar with Alex Hormozzi, but I was just listening to a podcast that he did. He's a marketing guy, you know, built a bunch of really successful businesses up to $100 million. And one of the things that he talked about is when he was first launching his gym, he talked to someone there like, the way I run my gym is I do flyers. So he would put out flyers in the parking lot and put it on all the people's cars. So he talks to the guy a couple weeks later and the guy says, hey, so, uh, you know, how'd it go? And he's like, well, I only got one person to call me back. And they said that they were going to sue me because I dented their car. And so the guy was like, well, how many did you send out on your first test? And he's like, he's like, what do you mean? He's like, 
did you not do a test? He's like, well, I sent out 300. And the guy's like, oh, I don't even ever do a test for less than 1,000, just a test. And he's like, I normally send out 40 or 50,000 flyers a month. And so it was like, dude, sometimes you think like you need a 2x your effort. And it's no, maybe you have to 40 or 50 or 60x your effort. That's right. That story really hit me because I was like, oh, man, like, are we really doing what all that's possible to get the results we want? Like, truly? Like, And the other thing that he mentioned, too, is like, if you're already working 40, 50, 60 hours, like, you don't need to find more time in the day. You need to stop doing the things that aren't efficient. Like most of those things are worthless. And it's just like, again, it just, I feel like he was like trying to fight me or something because, you know, even for myself, I like, man, I want to get more stuff done. And I always think like, maybe I got to do more work. And it comes down to like, no, I'm just doing probably the wrong things that aren't effectively growing my business. And so it's, I love that. It's huge. It's freaking huge. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's perspective and that may be kind of a bow around it because I, I get pretty passionate about this stuff because I'm passionate about our industry. It's provided me and my family so much opportunity in ways of professional relationships, personal relationships, income. This is an incredible business. I think that's maybe where some of the passion or you know energy for it comes is they're just treating it like another job. Right. And, and that's okay. There's a lot of people that it is just another job. But a lot of times those are the ones that are screaming the loudest and complaining the loudest. And right. I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page here about the opportunity that you have and that you can have. And I don't care whether you work for a bank, whether you work for an independent mortgage bank, whether you work for a mortgage broker, distributed retail. I, I don't care what part of the business you work in. As a loan officer, you have an opportunity to make more money than most other industries out there by just going and doing the work. Right. All the work can be learned along the way. We have incredible people in this business, podcasts like yours that they can go listen to, books they can go read, people that they can go coach with and be mentored with and have in a very short period of time a very high income. Right. If you do the things right, it's also a very sustainable income. Yeah. And it's not all about money, but whenever you have those things taken care of, you can go focus on the things. The mortgage business is not my passion in life. I want to make that clear. I'm very passionate about it because of what it provides me both time-wise and financially so that my wife and I and family can go pursue the things and sow into the things that we are very passionate about or that are our passions in life. Mm -hmm. And so I think that you have to kind of keep that in context. If, you know, uh, one of my first mentors said true freedom is having time and money because most people that have a lot of one don't have a lot of the other. Right, right. And, you know, what can you do for your friends and family? And so I know we've kind of gone down a little path here, but this all very relative to the type of industry you're in is you've got to know what your why is and what you're fighting for. Right. What is the plan of the work you're going to do? These last 36 months, when I say it's made people lazy, it's not that people aren't willing to work. Right. The laziness is the preparation, right? I'll go to another Barry Habib quote. This is from that very first podcast episode. He said, a boxer trains 5,000 minutes for every one minute in the ring. Right. And we've got people that aren't practicing their scripts because they don't like to do either role play or they don't like scripts or they don't want to record and listen to right. themselves back. Right. But we want to call ourselves professionals. Let's act like professionals, guys. Let's do that. Yeah, listen to your sales. I mean, that's funny because you brought that up. I mean, so many people don't listen to their sales calls. I've never listened to a sales call ever. Like, so you think you're good at sales and you've never listened to your sales calls? Like, I guarantee you, you listen to your sales calls, you're going to cringe about what the things that you've said to this person. You will. And I've over the years, like, to be honest, it's cringy. It is cringy <laughs> to listen to yourself or to listen to other people. And if you're, you know, a sales leader and you're not listening to your team's calls too, like, I mean, that's one thing that I avoided for years of just like, oh, well, they're salespeople. They can figure it out. They're going to learn how to sell. And it's like, no, like, as leaders, our job is also to coach and grow our team, right? Or grow our people. And that's one of the biggest things that I've learned. You know, that one of my other mentors, 
recently said that his job as a CEO is not to like do all kinds of th- these different things, be like super creative. Like, yeah, that's part of the job, but like his biggest responsibility is to grow his people. Yeah. And so I was like, man, that like blew my mind of like, all right, well, I, you know, I'm good at marketing, I'm good at sales, I'm good at all these things, but like the one thing that I need to spend more time doing is continuing to like, well, one, grow myself so that I can then sow that into other people. And I think that's something to think about too, as you know, originators, loan officers, you know, whoever's listening to this podcast is you have to grow as a person as well, right? You have to grow to get to those next levels, right? So, you know, we talk about $450,000 in income, like don't think that by doing the same things that got you to a hundred thousand dollars in income is going to get you to $200,000. Like those things are going to have to change, right? You know, it comes down to systems. It comes down to differentiating yourself. And so, I mean, let's chat a little bit about that real quick, you know, before we kind of close out, he talked a little bit about this idea of being an advisor, kind of your branding is the you know brew, which is, what is it? Building real estate wealth or something like that? Yeah. Build real estate wealth. So talk a little bit about that. Like, how are you doing that in the context of your conversations? I know we talked about that briefly, but you know, maybe we can get sure. into a little bit more specifics to help a little bit with tactics. Again, we talk a lot about like kind of the overviews of things philosophically, but I always like to leave at least a couple little tactics, strategies that people can use, you know, to basically get some more business, you know? Love that. So I'll just give you a couple of examples. The one I was talking about earlier, she called us, it was a lead from a referral partner, a realtor, and that realtor we created a relationship with because we commented or I commented on one of his Instagram posts. Love it. Uh, he asked about a house and he said, what do you guys think of this house? I was like, I love the contrast. He shows up in my DMs, DMs me, wants to meet up. Before we met up, he sent a client. She calls asking about down payment assistance and we were just having a conversation. I said, you know, tell me what's significant about, you know, you uh, wanting to purchase a home. And she said, I want to own property. I said, that's great. You know, property's uh, part of the American dream, right? That's awesome. So what's significant about owning property for you? And she said, uh, well, you know, she was an African-American lady in her probably mid to early 40s. Okay. And she's like, I've got a boyfriend that we've been dating for about a year, probably another year or two, we'll get married and he owns his home. So when we get married, I want both of us to each have a home that we can turn into rental properties. I'm like, that's cool. Okay. So we're talking about having some investment properties. And we talked a little bit about what it would be like, you know, a year or two down the road if they purchased a home together. So again, now we started with the one transaction for her buying a home and Now, all of a sudden, we're talking about a potential second transaction down the road when they get married. And I said, that's cool. So what would be significant? You said you guys wanted to each retain that property, have some rental properties. What's significant about that? And again, see, I'm taking it a layer deeper every single time. deeper. And she said, uh, well, you know, my grandparents, you know, grew up in a tough time in this country, but they really made something of themselves and they owned property and they left it to their kids, which is my parents and my aunts and uncles, but they kind of squandered it. And they ended up not really doing well with it. And so my cousins and I have decided it's really up to us to change our family tree. And so we want to start, you know, owning property and owning real estate so that we can essentially create wealth through real estate. And it's one of the reasons she had a conversation with us was we're talking about building real estate wealth. That's the type of thing that I'm talking about, because again, had I just started talking to her about down payment assistance and bond options and whatever, we never would have taken that journey with her to understand She's asking about a bond program, and it wasn't that she didn't have down payment money. She actually did. She just saw an opportunity of, hey, here's an opportunity for us to utilize some of these programs sure. and potentially you know, get some additional money to go towards what we were doing. But so again, we were able to create a strategy around, is these down payment assistance programs worth it for you or not? Then we had the strategy of what type of loan, if you're going to retain as a rental property, do you want if you're planning on buying another home with your future husband in a couple of years, 
And then what does that look like potentially down the road? So now every decision that we make or that she makes or that we advise her on goes through the understanding of what her why is. Her why, her and her family want to build generational wealth and change their family tree. There's, in my opinion, not many worthier causes than that. And other conversations have led to completely different things. One person called and wanted a home equity line. Well, really what they wanted to do was pull cash out and they want to go buy other properties. There's different things. And a lot of times people don't know what they ask for. And so the system is for us in every situation. We have our referral partner or realtor make a three-way introduction Mm -hmm. via text or email. There's a little bit of science behind that because if you give me a name and phone number and I reach out to them and said, hey, you know, Luke gave me your info and said to reach out, no one knows if they respond or not. But if you put us in a three-way text message and say, hey, you know, Sue, meet Phil, you know, you need to talk to him, whatever, whatever. And then I say, hey, Luke, thanks for the introduction, Sue. I'm looking forward to connecting. Now she has some pressure, if you will, or has a desire to want to respond because the other two people already have. So rule number one, we always have people do a three-way intro via email or text message. Second thing is we have that conversation with them about what it is they're trying to do and why. The next step is typically trying to do some type of an application. Go ahead and do an application. We have a client profile. And all of these steps are triggered in our CRM. We do have text messages, video messages, emails that go out at different milestones and different status updates through there. So once we're done with a client conversation and we trigger consult complete, they get an email. They actually get two different emails, one that kind of lists our value proposition or why your brew team. Then there's an email that talks about their client profile and application. A text goes to the realtor, thanking them for the referral, letting them know that we're sending them stuff for an application. And we also send them a text knowing that, hey, save this number because we're going to be sending you some updates through this Mm -hmm. as well. And we have that stuff built out at every stage of the milestone. So once that consult's complete, the ball's in their court. Well, a drip campaign has also started. So if they don't complete that application within a certain period of time and we trigger that you know milestone to app completed, something else is going to happen. And I won't get to the technicals of that. I'm just letting you know our time is spent talking to referral partners, creating marketing, attracting, and then having conversations and all these other things that we waste time. And it's like, okay, I just had a consult. I need to update my realtor and I need to send them the application. Right. No, you just waste another hour or half hour that you could have one or two more conversations with people on. Using automation, right? right. You're basically leveraging automation there. 100%. And what I want to go back to real quick is the way you phrase that question because I think what people tend to do is say, oh, why are you looking to buy a home, right? When I think that's a very sort of like, it's not a bad question, but it's a bad question. Let's just call it what it is. People get defensive when you ask why something. If I said, why are you using that microphone? No matter the context of it, you're automatically put on the defensive of having to defend why. But when someone says, hey, man, what's significant, Luke, about you using that microphone? Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that I disagree with it. I just want to know what's significant for you. Right, right, right. Yeah. And and one of my favorite questions is like, what has happened in your life that makes right now the right time to buy a home? Oh, I love that. Something along those lines, right? Like, again, that's like kind of a qualifying question you're able to use. Again, instead of asking the outright, like, why are you buying a house? Like, it's just kind of a better way of asking the same question. And again, I think that's super important to note the nuance of like you talked about a couple of times, like you got to figure out their why, but you can't just come out and say it that way. You have to discover it and allow them to tell you it as well. I think the other thing too is people, maybe you get all the information, right? Maybe you have all the information from them, like, but you don't let them verbalize it. Sometimes they don't understand or they just, they haven't. So part of having that conversation is letting them verbalize what they're feeling 
so that they can then feel heard as well. And then again, just going back to listening being an active listener, because, you know, so many times people just want to move to the next step. I'm sure you could easily find like, oh, well, let's go straight into your application. Like, that's great. But without listening to them, understanding what they want. Okay, well, now, you know, they have two or three, four transactions that they might get. And, you know, maybe the bond program isn't the right program for them. And so I like that, man. It's cool. Awesome. Well, I mean, it's a pretty simple process. I mean, at the end of the day, there's a lot of technical aspects of it. We do leverage automation. We do leverage technology. We want to mix that as cliche as it is in today's day and age, that high tech with high touch. Sure. But this business has been, is being done and will always be done based on relationships. Mm -hmm. And if you're not making relationships and having conversations with people, you're missing the boat. My day today has been almost exclusively having client conversations, having referral partner conversations. I, right before this, had lunch with an insurance agent who is one of our top referral partners as far as referring us deals, as well as introducing us to other realtors, Love and it. then a realtor that I introduced to him. Our entire business is about being social and about meeting people on social media and in person and introducing them to people. The deals come, guys. You don't have to be strategic about where the deals come from. Sure. You have to be strategic about being out there, being visible, starting conversations, adding value. And then when the time comes that you have an opportunity to talk or sell or add value, that you show up the right way. And that's where that other stuff comes in is being able to utilize those tools in the right way. So it's easy, but it's simple, easy, whatever the right one of those words is. It's, it's right. going to take work. It's a simple concept. It may not necessarily be easy, but it's a simple concept and it does take work, but it's worth it. Got right. to understand your why and, and uh, the rest will kind of take care of itself. Sure. It's what they say. That's simple, but not easy, right? That uh, it is. That's it. Yeah. yeah. So uh, just real quick as we wrap up, if you were to start again today, and I guess you just started again, kind <laughs> of, sort of, I mean, you've been in the industry, but if you were to start over again today, what would be like one thing that you would do to go out and get more business? Yeah. So one of them I already said, which is put every single person you know, and every single person you've ever met in a CRM in a database and drip on them consistently with non-spammy, meaningful content of some kind. But if you don't have that, let's say you're literally starting with just you and you don't have any tools or don't know how to know any tools, most of us all have social media accounts. And I would say if it's realtors or builders or you know clients or whoever it is is your audience that you're wanting to engage with to be your source of business, whoever that intended audience is, I would do a significant amount of engaging in their content in a meaningful way. Love it. I would say that... 80 to 90% of our top referral partners right now, the initial contact and conversation was about them engaging in our content or us engaging in theirs, just comments and DMs on stories and things of that nature. So don't underestimate the power of just engaging in people's content and them reaching out to you for conversation. I think that's huge. I don't remember if it was you that had this, that said this, but uh, you know, a lot of times what people do is drive by posting, right? Drive by content. I yeah. couldn't remember if it was you or not, but I remember someone saying yeah, that was. and I just thought it was such a great, brilliant concept because it's like, yeah, like people think that they just put content out there. They can just get away with, you know, getting business, but it really comes down to like, you know, you have to engage with people and you have to start those relationships. I love that. If someone wants to kind of find you online, I know you have your podcast things like that. Where can they kind of find you, get some more information or, you know, connect with you, man? For sure. PhilTreadwell.com and MMEpodcast.com, Mortgage Marketing Expert. Those are easy ways to find me. I'm on pretty much all the socials at Phil Treadwell. Instagram is kind of our focus right now. So connect with me on Instagram or LinkedIn, shoot me a DM, love to chat and hear Hey, Phil, you were absolutely wrong about that. Or hey, that helped. Always love feedback. Awesome, man. Great to have you on here again. And for everybody who's listening, I'd say the biggest takeaway from this episode was really coming down to, well, one, obviously we talked about being 
persistent and consistent and doing those things over time. But I think the other thing comes down to, let's just say like we're actually understanding what people need and want versus just thinking that you can just pitch someone and they're going to buy the thing that you're trying to pitch them. So that was my big takeaway from today is really understand and get good at listening, understanding what people need and want, and then providing solutions based off of their feedback instead of just trying to, you know, word vomit, whatever you think is the cool widget, you know, rates, whatever it is that you're trying to sell, right? So again, thank you so much, Phil, for being here and for everybody who's listening. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning into the Loans On Demand podcast on loansondemandpodcast.com. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.